Ladies and gentlemen, we are now ready to begin one of the most popular events in any of our programs, and that's the guide dog school reports. I remember one year some people in GDY said, well, we do that every year. Maybe we should not do that this convention, and there was such a hoopla that uh, we, we, because people love to hear from news from their school, and so we have wonderful people up here representing all of the schools that are with us at Top Dog. And instead of my taking time to introduce them, I'm going to let each of them introduce themselves. And what I promised them was, I'm not going to call on you alphabetically because that doesn't seem fair. So what I'm going to do, I think the person that probably came the furthest is from Guide Dogs for the Blind, Pam Berman. And we all had gotten to know and really adore Jane Flower, and now we're getting to know Pam. And so um, without any further ado, I'm going to introduce Pam, and she's going to talk to you about what's going on out there in San Rafael and, I guess, Boring, Oregon, too. So let's hear it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, my name is Pam Berman. I am the outreach representative in Chicago, Illinois. That's where I'm based. But you all know we have two campuses. San Rafael is our main campus, and then we have our satellite campus in Boring, Oregon. And I'm also here, I just want you to know, sitting beside me is Will Henry. He is the field manager survey. <laughs> I'll let Will tell you who he is in a little bit. Um, I I just wanted to let you know what is uh, going on at Guide Dogs for the Blind right now is, I know time flies, but we've been around 75 years. This is our diamond anniversary, and we are having a reunion, uh, our alumni reunion, um, in San Francisco this year. Every other year we have it in uh, in Oregon or California. So this year it's going to be in San Francisco. It's a little later this year. We're doing it the weekend right before Thanksgiving, November 17th to the 19th. And uh, the theme this year is... That's right, celebrating community partnerships. And um, so that is happening uh, in November. And then uh, we also have a new uh, group um, that meets monthly called Pause and Remember because many of us, uh, you know, we all know about guide dogs, but. Uh, the uh, experience of retiring our dogs for various reasons, you know, that, that you know, tears at us. And uh, so it's really nice. We have a monthly group that meets over the phone called Pause and Remember. And so that started up. And we also um, wanted to make note that um, our, our waiting time, um, once we get your application in, um, had been 
you know, about 13 months, and I'm happy to report now um, it, it's down to 10 months, and we're still working on that. We've got a lot of new um, uh, instructors, apprentice instructors, so we're hope still hoping to get that down. And we have a new puppy center that is coming, that is really exciting, that is coming in San Rafael. Um, and um, I mean, maybe Will can explain a little bit more about the puppy center. Um, there you go, Will. Sure. Can you tell them who you are exactly? Your job title. My name is Will Henry. I'm the field service manager for the East Coast. So I cover from Maine down to North Carolina and then the state of Florida. So um, as far as the Puppy Center, we hope to have it completed by 2018. And it's just going to provide a, a safe, warm, enriching environment for the puppies and help them kind of begin their journeys to become guide dogs. So um, the project is actually called uh, Puppies with a Purpose. And um, the campaign so far has raised nearly 13 million of the 20 million that's needed to fully um, fund the campaign. So if you uh, would like more information about that, you can go to guidedogs.com um, slash puppy center. And um, just uh, just wanted to, to note too um, about our waiting times. If you're interested in um, getting a home visit or you're thinking about retirement, it's always good during that yearly phone call or visit to let us know so we can update your information and kind of get you in the, the system so um, hopefully the wait won't be that long. So, all right, now I'm going to pass it on to, is there an order here or we just pass um, it? The order is, oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> the order is totally my whim. I just decided that we weren't going to do it alphabetically. So I think what we'll do is next call on the seeing eye. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Chelsea again. You have to listen to me again. Ha, ha. Um, I actually, I don't have a lot to report. This is going to be a short thing. Um, there, there really isn't a, a whole lot new going on. A um, couple of things, though. We, we did hire uh, a part-time person. Um, Ellen, oh my gosh, and I totally blanked on Ellen's last name. Um, she was an instructor, a prior instructor for us um, for several years, um, had children, um, went off to raise her family, and has been hired back part-time to do uh, the interviews that are part of our application process. So she is going to go out about once a month and uh, do those interviews and Juno walks and that kind of stuff that are part of our application process. Uh, so that folks aren't waiting to be seen and, and have their interviews and that kind of thing. Our wait right now um, for a dog is about six months, um, is, is average. Um, like guide dogs, we have a ton of new apprentices. Uh, over the last three years, we've had a lot of folks retire. Um, we've had a lot of folks start families and, and go off to raise families. And um, so we've had to replace uh, quite a few instructors. So we have a ton of new apprentices who are all fantastic, by the way. Uh, and other than that, 
that's about it that's new. So, who's next? Debbie? Why don't we do Freedom Guide Dogs? Where's John? John's coming. John didn't want to sit with us. We, I think we must stink or something. <laughs> it's all good. Well, thank you, Debbie, and thank you, Chelsea. Uh, firstly, I'd like to say, before I talk about freedom, I'd like to talk about the other schools and just say that I think they're doing a great job and there's great representation here today with the docs and the students. So congratulations to everybody. Uh, I've actually been with Freedom eight years. Yeah, already, <laughs> years fly by. And I'm based here in Florida because we have a southern exposure I live just 20 miles away in a little town called Lake Mary, which is northeast of Orlando. And I coordinate Freedom Services down here in the southeastern states. But I try to get up north in the fall because that's the best time of the year to visit New England. And I miss it because I used to work there. But Freedom this year is celebrating its 25th year anniversary. And that may be a surprise to you, because I think it's probably the least known guide up program, um, but it's had a significant presence and I'm certainly glad to be a part of it. Now, Freedom is home training exclusively and my colleague Eric Laurie, who's the co-founder of Freedom, and I have between us over 65 years experience training people in their home communities. And we're comfortable with that, and we've been effective with it as well, and we're pleased to do it. Uh, as far as service area, we mainly service the eastern states. It's rare that we go beyond that, and the only exceptions would be if we have Freedom graduates that have moved away, and if we can work it out logistically, we'll try to give them a successor dog, and we've done that. I believe in Texas and in Missouri and probably a couple of other states, but uh, that's unusual. And we place approximately 40 guides a year. And I'm pleased to report that approximately a third of those are placed here in the southeastern states. And I'm currently working with uh, two first-time students in the greater Tampa area. And they have given me permission to leave their <laughs> training for a few days before I go back on Monday and complete that. And as far as breeds, as you know, the Labrador is a standard. It's a standard bear, and not only in the States, but also across the world, and has a well-deserved reputation. And Freedom's had its own colony of Labradors since its inception 25 years ago, and producing some very nice dogs. But occasionally we have other breeds. I have a poodle with me uh, that is partially trained, and his first exposure to a conference and I think he's done very well. He's, he's made some friends <laughs> and well-deserved as well. And I'd like to, to also report uh, that we have two very valuable freedom puppy walkers here today, puppy raisers, 
Ginny and Ron Lamb. And Ginny and Ron, would you stand up, please? And they are currently raising a black Labrador male, which I think is their third or fourth freedom puppy. They live here in Hernando, Florida. But prior to that, when they lived in Connecticut, they raised 10 dogs for Fried uh, for Fidelco, and very successfully. So I think th this is a great opportunity to say how much we are all indebted to the families who raise puppies as potential guides. And I think a previous speaker has said that guide dog programs could not function without the help of these very sincere volunteer families. So I'm delighted, Ron and Jenny, that you can be with us today. And you know how well-deserved the praise was, absolutely. And I shall be here for the balance of the day. And I'm not going to give you my telephone number because you won't remember it anyhow. So you all know Doug Hall, and Doug has my telephone number. So if anybody needs to speak to me, and looking around the room, I, I see people that I've worked with as far back as the 70s. I'm looking at you, Jean. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it's so nice to see you and be reacquainted. And uh, I'd also like to point out, uh, talking about the seeing eye and the new apprentices, that I have a grandson, Nick Byfield, uh, who is an apprentice trainer of the seeing eye. And... Uh, He's currently on class. He's responsible for the training of four students under supervision because he's still inexperienced. Uh, but he has a great support. He has some great mentors. And uh, I think he's here to there to stay. He's really very happy with what he's doing. He's highly motivated. I visited uh, the Seeing Eye in the summer. They have a great program, some very good people, and uh, they do a great job, and I'm delighted that he's there. But I also have another grandson who's expressed an interest in becoming a guide dog trainer. Uh, so we don't know. He's in graduate school at the moment, but he's already visited one of the major schools and is planning to visit another one. So by the end of the year, there may be three Byfields who are training guide dogs in this Thank you. Thank you, John. It's always such a pleasure to hear from him. I was telling him and we were chatting earlier, no matter what school a person goes to or has gone to, everyone feels that John Byfield belongs to everybody. Everybody, regardless of that. That's absolutely true. We are now going to hear from Guiding Eyes for the Blind. <laughs> We're playing microphone hockey up here. Hi, this is this is Becky uh, again, another voice from your recent past. Um, <clears throat> I don't have a whole lot to report either, um, but I will tell you that Guiding Eyes continues to train primarily primarily Labradors. We are breeding and training German Shepherds. Um, our class is about three weeks. Um, we last last year it might even be closer to two years ago now. Uh, started a, an experimental running guides program and it's for those people who um, like to run for exercise it's not necessarily for marathoners or you, you wouldn't run with your guide dog in a marathon but it's a way for people who like to run for exercise to be able to train and run with their guide dog safely 
um, and independently. And um, it involves the guide dog is trained as a guide dog first, and once the team settles in and decides they want to go to the next step, um, we will either bring them in for to guiding eyes for a few days till we have a, a special instructor who's working with running dogs. Um, we'll bring them in for a few days to, to train. Um, we'll, of course, review the route at home that they want to run. Um, they have a separate harness that they use for running. Um, and not being a runner, that's about all I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I personally admire those who choose to do it, um, and I will admire you from a distance. Uh, my chair, or at least a, you know, or at least walking. Yeah, walking. I like to walk. That's a good thing. Um, in April, Guiding Eyes, we have a graduate council. It's a nine-member graduate council that acts as a liaison with the school, between the school and its graduate community. And this year, Guiding Eyes Graduate Council is hosting, along with Guiding Eyes, our first continuing education seminar. It's going to be at a conference center uh, near Guiding Eyes, and it's going to be an intensive weekend of uh, training sessions and breakout sessions. So we're going to have trainers doing sessions on targeting and distractions and all different kinds of things, puppy raiser graduate roundtables. Uh, so we're very, really very excited about how that's going to go. Uh, we have 78 graduates and 40 puppy raisers and numerous volunteers signed up to come. And we were really, some of you won't care about this, but some of you will who've been to national conventions. We were actually able to get Tim and Maria Stone from Scoop Masters to come and do our guide dog relief area for us at the conference. So we're very excited about that. And I only tell you that because if you knew Tim and Maria, you'd know how cool they are. So, yeah, we're very excited about that. Um, our wait time right now for a first-timer is probably close to six months. Um, but I think any of the schools will tell you that the wait time variables have most to do with making sure that when you bring somebody in, um, you have the right dog for them. If somebody, you know, needs something very specific in a dog, it may take a while for us to find that that special perfect match. So, you know, we kind of give you a target amount of time. Um, and I think, oh, we did just hire another field representative part-time. She's out in Colorado. Her name's Melissa Smith. And um, she is joining us and will be handling home interviews and zone visits in the western state. She is a guide dog trainer, so we don't have to train her to be a trainer. And uh, she's I just got to spend a little time with her last week. She's very cool. Um, so I think that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Becky, very much. We're now going to go back down to a school that serves Florida and a lot of the Southeast. We're going to hear from Southeastern Guide Dogs. Hello, um, my name is Erin uh, Garcia, and I'm a field service rep for uh, Southeastern Guide Dogs. Um, and as far as updates go, um, I would say one of the biggest things that you will notice when you come onto our campus currently is all the construction. Um, so we just finished completing a new uh, student center in September. Um, it is close to 30,000 square feet, and we've got five, uh, 12 student rooms, individual student rooms, and tons of usable office space now, and uh, lots of space to host events and uh it's going to be very exciting for us, um, which leads me to we will be hosting our very first um, alumni event in March, which we are very excited about. And also in March, 
our brand new puppy kennel is supposed to open. Hopefully, you know how construction goes. <laughs> We're hoping to make it by March, but they're coming along and uh, our new puppy kennel is also going to be extremely, extremely nice since it's been 30 years since our last puppy kennel was built and uh, it's we've kind of outgrown it at this point. Um, and then right after that construction is complete, we're going to be starting a brand new training kennel. So plan on construction for a while, but once it's all done, it's going to be very, very exciting. Um, also, we did a trial three-week class, and uh, we got very, very good feedback from it. So we've switched all our classes to three weeks um, or 20 days, um, which is very helpful for a lot of our students to accommodate work schedules um, and stuff like that. Um, again, we're still breeding uh, Labrador Retrievers and some Golden Retrievers. Um, and like everybody said, our wait time does vary depending on the specifics of what dog you need, but it's somewhere between 6 and 12 months. And that's about all I've got. Thank you, Erin. Thank you very much. Good job. Erin was a little nervous. I think she did great, don't you? Absolutely. Did great. Okay, and unless I am missing somebody, the yeah. I no 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 I haven't. Unless I'm missing somebody, we're going to hear from our good friend whom we heard from a lot during this event, Janine Stanley, representing the Guide Dog Foundation. Hey. Yay! Represent GDF. Thank you, guys. <laughs> um, you're going to get tired of hearing me. Trust me. Um, I am very happy to represent the Guide Dog Foundation. We just finished up our 70th year. Uh, we were founded in 1946, and so just finished up our 70th year. Pretty exciting. Um, how many of you watched the Today Show? Yeah, yeah. Well, last, uh, over the past couple years, um, Guiding Eyes started the program out, the puppy with a purpose, and the next puppy they wanted to look at was from our uh, sister organization, which is America's Vet Dogs, and that is Charlie. If you see Charlie, he's one of our puppies. Yeah, we love Charlie. And America's Vet Dogs and Guide Dog Foundation are actually, you know, one organization with two units, let's say. That's probably the best way to describe it. Guide Dog Foundation provides guide dogs for civilians. America's Vet Dogs provides guide and service dogs for veterans. So we're kind of serving, catching everybody there. But what that's allowed us to do over the past several years is to get more and more knowledge about how to provide specialized guide dogs. So we now do provide guide dogs with hearing dog tasks. And those are things like alerting to the phone and the smoke alarm and the baby crying and things like that, doorbell. Um, we have balance assistance for our dogs. Um, they can be taught to provide that kind of assistance. We do not do some of the other tasks, like uh, some of the tasks for PTSD. We've had a lot of questions about that. We do train dogs for people who use wheelchairs and are blind, but the caveat there is we only do two of them a year, so, and we've got quite a long waiting list for those. Um, the breeds that we use right now are the Labs, the Goldens, and the Lab Golden Crosses. We have standard poodles for folks who have allergies. We do not train German Shepherds anymore, um, not at this point anyway. Um, 
Yeah, I know, but <laughs> if you can find us some good shepherds, we'll be happy to do that. But we do have our poodles, which are shepherds with curly hair, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. Um, right now, our wait time for class is three to six months, but as everyone has said, that varies from individual to individual. So if you have any special needs, the wait may be longer. If you are waiting to get a poodle because of allergies, your wait is going to be at least 18 months. Sorry about that. We won't even talk about the wait for wheelchair guides. <laughs> you, you, you gathered that one. Um, one of the things that's changed in our training over the last few years since our last top dog, we have gone to a two-week class. And everybody said, two weeks? Yikes. Well, we modeled ours after the good folks at Guide Dogs for the Blind because two years ago, we were able to acquire as our director of training, Brad Hibbard from Guide Dogs for the Blind. He came to us. He's now our director of training. Uh, we also had Pat Glines with us from Guide Dogs. Pat went and moved to Australia on us. So, you know, he's he's working for one of the Guide Dog schools down there. So, you know, what do you do about that besides be jealous? <laughs> But Brad brought us the two-week training program. The ratio is one instructor to two students, similar to what GDB's is. We take you into Manhattan during that time. And anybody who's been to GDF over the years, we used to go to Queens. And Queens is Queens, okay? It was a wonderful learning experience, but not something that we really were feeling safe about in the present climate and the present time. So we now go to Manhattan. We uh, are based out of the Lighthouse Guild. And if you are not a city person, you get to walk around Central Park. If you are a city person, you get two days in the city of intense city work. So there you go. I am going to uh, leave... You all with, just remember, our website is guidedog.org. We are the single one. Guidedogs.org is southeastern, and guidedog.com is guide dogs for the blind. Confused yet? <laughs> you would not believe the number of calls we get. That people don't remember what school they applied to. So, <laughs> But we do have our application online. We also now have all of our lectures online. So if you want to go up and look at them, I don't care what school you're from, come on up and look. We're happy to share those. Thanks. Thank you, Janine. Thank you. Be before, um, do we have a volunteer mic runner? Erin doesn't know it, but she's just been appointed. <laughs> um, what we're going to do is like we've done with the other uh, reports. Please raise your hand if you have a question. You will ask it when the microphone comes into your hand because I'm sure there are a lot of you with a lot of questions. Please, one question per person. And finally, um, let's keep the questions on topics that would interest everybody. They can be school questions. They can be questions of seeking opinions from these experts up here. But let's not talk about personal things or anything like that. So Aaron from Southeastern is going to run around with the mic, and we will take your questions. If you just want anyone to answer, just ask the question. If there's someone specific you want to hear from, and if it's Janine all the time, <laughs> no, I, may, no. I, may, I may just say, I may no. just take it upon myself to call on somebody else. Janine knows I'm just joking. We go back a long way. So anyway, we're going to turn the mic over to Aaron. Put your hands up. And you will be called on. We have some time, so hopefully we can get to just about everybody.
Hello. Is this thing working? Um, no. Do we have any questions? Okay. <laughs> Hello. All right. Let me let me just say that I just got a request. The president of the alumni of Pilot Dogs is here, and he would like to say a word or two. So we we did not. I don't want you. To, we did not leave Pilot Dogs out on purpose. We just didn't know, but we're certainly going to give um give them a chance to speak as well. And then maybe I actually have a question. I have a question or two in in waiting in case there weren't any. So we still will will be calling on our other trainers. But let's give Pilot Dogs now a chance to speak as well. Thank you. Hello, hello, hello. hello. You can just use the wireless mic if you want. Hello, hello. Yeah, it is. It's it's working. You have to turn it on, love. <laughs> oh, oopsie. <laughs> Shall I? That's good. You have to turn it on, Erin, right? I know how to turn it on. Yeah. Just push it up there. Yeah. You want me to give that to John? I think John oh. Adele did. Oh. She, she's got, got mine. Gotcha. <laughs> My name is Melvin Reynolds, and I am the president of the Pilot Dog Alumni Association. Um, I can tell you a little bit about what's going on at Pilot currently. They have gone to a three-week class schedule for all trainee for all new trainees. Uh, retrains are still two-week classes. Um, they added on a new section to the building in 2005. As of the middle of next month, if uh, construction stays on schedule, they will be the first school in the country to have their puppy facility, their school, and their training kennel all on one location within the downtown city. Um, they are in the middle of a $6 million kennel building program. Uh, the kennel will hold 160 dogs, capable of going up to 180 dogs. It will also hold their hearing dog program. It will have offices for the trainers to do paperwork in. It will also have an indoor obedience area and obstacle course uh, for students to use if it's inclement outside. Uh, they do have a uh, alumni park outdoors that students can enjoy while they're in class. Um, class size is usually about eight students, two trainers to a class. Um, and you do work seven days a week um, during the three-week class period. Um, their website is uh, pilotdogs.org. The alumni's website is pilotdogsalumni.org. And we'll be holding our... Uh, alumni convention in May in Berlin, Ohio. We hold one every year, and this will be our 57th convention. Uh, we, we started um, holding conventions in 1960. They do use seven breeds of dogs. They use Labs, Goldens, Shepherds, Poodles, Boxers, Dobermans, and Vizslas. Um, and I have a Dobie from there. Um, she's uh, 22 months. But um, the, their wait for poodles is six months. 
So it's, you know, poodle weight is long wherever you go. Um, but uh, they, like I said, they just are in the middle of that uh, construction build, and we're keeping our fingers crossed. Grand opening should be the middle of next month. And that's what I have from Pilot. Thank you. Wow. Okay, before before I take personal privilege and ask the questions that I have in mind, because we're not going to let the guide dog representative get off that easy, um, we'll see once again if you all have questions. And I do want to tell you a funny story. Um, we were all around when the internet was, many of us, was first getting to be used in personal homes, small businesses, all of that kind of thing. And as many of you know, Southeastern's founder was Mike Sargent, who ended his career up at the Guide Dog Foundation. Well, I tried to talk him into buying every configuration of guide dog, guide dogs, and he wouldn't listen to me. And I think he regretted it for all time. <laughs> I thought you all would enjoy that little story. <laughs> okay. Um, are there any hands up, Aaron? Okay. We're going to call on the people with their hands up first, and then if there's time, I'll ask my question. Okay. Let's hear your question. Hi. It's Charlie Crawford. Hi. <laughs> I, my question basically relates to all the schools. It's a common concern for all of us, the evolving technology of roundabouts and all of that, and also this new in, 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 uh, infusion of the GPS guide uh, systems and all that that can help people as they navigate our, our environment. And uh, I'm really concerned, and, and I appreciate any information that any of you have to offer with regards to how your school is approaching those issues in ways that may be different than the past. I tell you what we're going to do, since this is a unified, I really do want to hear from all of the schools that wish to say something about this. So what we're going to do is if, um, if a school, you all can just decide who gets the mic. We'll have every school person who wants to answer this question weigh on on it, do it. And then we'll have another question. So let's, when you, when you speak again, introduce yourself and where you're from and give us your answer. Thank you. Oh, oh! I thought I thought Aaron. <laughs> um, Charlie, you wanted to know if there was anything different. Um, not really. Um, I, Lucas is still very involved. Um, and and has been for many many years with traffic stuff in general. Um, I know. Uh, he was involved with. Uh, a group that was doing, oh my gosh, I can't remember what university it was, uh, Western, I think, um, doing a bunch of research with roundabouts and that kind of thing. And most specifically, um, roundabouts that were multi-lane roundabouts, um, the ones that are single-lane roundabouts, from what I understand, I haven't had a ton of experience with them, but are are generally fairly reasonably crossed Um it's it's the ones that have multi lanes that are more difficult, and there's been quite a bit of research on you know ways to make pedestrians more visible um, in those particular situations. So um, you know Lucas Lucas is the one that's most involved with that, and then as far as you know individual graduates who are having to deal with them, um, if you're having to deal with one, 
Um, and you know, you want somebody to come out and check it out and, and see if it's at all doable. Um, you know, give us a call. So, yep. And you all can speak on any aspect of that question, anything that strikes your mind. Any other school reps want to speak? Yeah. Hi, it's Becky. Um, our field representative, Mike Gehring, um, some of you may know, um, has uh, worked uh, independently and with Lucas and some of the other AER individuals on the roundabout issue um, extensively, and they've done several presentations um, to OM&M instructors around the country um, at various seminars um, to address this issue. My understanding at this point is that the, that a lot of the roundabouts are still not being built in pedestrian areas, but that's not to say that there aren't any. Um, and, you know, I, you almost have to look at each, each situation and each roundabout individually. Um, another, another area where this is being discussed at, at, on some level is a ACB's Environmental Access Committee talking about it in terms of accessibility to our environment. So, um, it's on the radar screen. Um, and one of the things we have to do is help traffic engineers understand that, yes, it's important to get cars around, but it's also important to get pedestrians around. Um, and that's an ongoing process that has been for years, especially if you're, you know, someone working on uh, audible pedestrian signals and accessible pedestrian signals and things like that. Um, as far as the technology and wayfinding, um, I think, you know, again, that's a, that often is a matter of individual preference. People choose to use it. Um, but our, our, our policy at Guiding Eyes has always been, you know, learn to use your guide dog first in the ways that the dog has been trained. And, and then if you want to add those things onto it, you know, good for you, more power to you. But, you know, trusting your dog is, is first and foremost. Hello, it's Will Henry from God Dogs. Uh, I'll just speak briefly to, to, um, a little bit of what Becky said. So many of these are, are really individualized, um, intersections. So it's hard to come up with, you know, advice that you can just say over the phone that meets all of those, um, different areas. So I think what God Dogs has kind of the stance they've taken with it is, um, having the field service managers available. Um, if we need to go out. So there's eight different um, people. The U.S. and Canada is divided into the eight zones. So we do have a availability to send um, one of the field service managers or another instructor. Um, several of us actually have our O&M degrees. So we can, you know, come and, and look at the particular intersection and, and watch, you know, how the team's working because um, it can get really confusing. And I think it's a type thing that because a lot of them are not um, standardized across the country that it really, you know, I have seen situations where uh, a team could safely uh, navigate around a particular, you know, roundabout. But I've also seen some that it would, it would just, once you got your, your feet on the ground and looked at it, you would say no way. So I think it's um, GDB's stance is just making sure that we have a people to to go and, and visit with clients and work through any things like that in their home or their work environment. Anyone else? Oh, she's going to let me talk. <laughs> it's Janine from the Guide Dog Foundation. And one of the things that we do to help our 
graduates and, and even our students as we look at the application process, we use a lot of the online tools that are out there, Google Maps, Google Earth, some of the other mapping tools, I'm sure they, the other schools do too, to try to look at those intersections before you know, or as we are trying to help the student or the, the graduate. Uh, FaceTime is another big one. If you can get a friend to go with you, we'll try a FaceTime call to look at it if we can't get there immediately. Another thing is that the Council of U.S. Dog Guide Schools, Cus Dogs, um, which I just love to say that name because I invoke Russ Post every time yeah, I say that. <laughs> yes, but, um, um, you know, they are doing continuing learning efforts for everyone from the executives on down as to what these obstacles are to people getting around. And the GPS, that's part of my fun job. I get to keep everybody up to date on that stuff. So um, we don't really do anything with teaching it, but we do, you know, make our students uh, let them know, our graduates know that it's out there as an option. And we have had some instructors who recommend the use of GPS for people in certain situations because it's the only way for some of us who have no sidewalks to find out where the intersecting roads are. Hey, anyone else? Okay. Uh, this is John Byfield, uh, Freedom Guide Dogs. Uh, it's been my experience, and I'm sure the experience of many other instructors, that when we're in the field working, if there's a particularly difficult uh, crossing which perhaps would lend itself to being an audible, then my experience has been that the O&M community have much more clout uh, than we as guide dog instructors do or guide dog schools because very often they're affiliated with state agencies and state worker to state worker is usually more effective than what we can do. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, and, uh, and we all have an interest in helping as many people as possible, but I think uh, guide dog programs work with the O&M community in trying to influence change wherever it should occur. Thank you. Anyone else wish to comment on this? Okay. Thank you for the question, and thank you for all those comments. We do have time for another question or two, so if anybody's got a burning question, let Erin see your hand. I have a question for Freedom Guide School. Um, I wanted to know if there's any veterinarian assistance or any kind of care assistance for guide dogs after a person graduates. I have to say that Freedom is really underfunded, and as much as we would like to provide assistance, uh, monetary assistance, we're just not in a position to do do so. Uh, the co-founder uh, was qualified not only as a guide dog instructor, but also as a veterinary technician, and is more than willing to counsel graduates with any problems that they have. Uh, but that's as far as we're able to go. Uh, thank you. Any other questions? There's a couple. Cool, let's do it. Um, what are the schools doing to address the issue of quiet cars? Let's make the same um, arrangement as before. Any school that wishes to communicate with us about that, just get the microphone and we'll just hear from everyone who wishes to speak about it. 
It's Will Henry from Guide Dogs. Um, we actually have um, uh, an Prius for um, at both campuses. So when you're in class and you're getting um, traffic checks with your dogs, you'll actually experience um, um, that as far as um, you know getting a traffic check. So um, that's that's kind of where we are. We budgeted for a quiet car this year, so we either have one or will very shortly to, to again, provide do similar things with traffic checks and that sort of thing. It's Chelsea from Seeing Eye. Um, we have had a Prius for ever, um, probably getting close to 20 years. I remember I when it first came to a convention. And um, <laughs> we... Uh, like Will said, with guide dogs, um, we, we do quite a few of our traffic checks with our students and dogs in class with the Prius. Um, we have found that dogs don't have any different response to Priuses than they do motorized cars. So, you know, they, they stop for them just like they would any other car. Um, the only reason that we use it with students is in class is so that you have that experience of your dog stopping and you not necessarily knowing that that's what they're stopping for. So, um, dogs don't respond to them differently. Students do. We all do. <laughs> um, but, but the, the important thing in that is, is dogs don't. To them, it's just a car. It's just another car. So, um, but yeah, we've, oh, we've had a Prius forever. So. Uh, Janine from GDF, and we do not have a Prius. <laughs> Actually, some of our staff do, but we train in a town called Port Jefferson, which is rather well-heeled, and there are a lot of quiet cars in that town. So you're going to be exposed to a lot of natural quiet cars during training. Uh, it's Erin from Southeastern Guide Dogs, and we have a hybrid SUV that we use exclusively for traffic checks, and we also have a Prius, too. We're good with that question? Okay, I think we have time for another, if anybody has one. Hi, I'm Dana, and I have my first guide dog from the Guide Dog Foundation for the Blind, and I love him. <laughs> and this is a bit of a silly question, but at the same time a serious question. Do any of the schools teach the guide dogs to pick up their own toys and put them away? <laughs> Oh okay, my. let's hear the answer on the count of three, everybody together. One, two, three. No! <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the official answer is no. The unofficial answer is that I'm sure all the other schools that do um, training with the clicker will tell you that you may be able to teach your dog to put his own toys away. Doesn't work in my house, but <laughs> but it is certainly possible through the use of clicker training. So another question? Oh, my name is Marie and I'm just wondering, um, particularly since my last experience at GDB when we had um, a group of students that were still in high school um, come and be 
they were separate, but we, you know, in our classes, but we were with them in the dorm. And I'm just wondering, it was a great experience having them with us. So I was wondering um, what the age, um, you know, the ages uh, somebody needs to be um, to get a guide dog right now in the different schools. Uh, you have to be 18 at Southeastern Guide Dogs. At Guide Dogs for the Blind, we don't have any age restriction at all. Uh, but if a, a young person is under 18, the only thing we ask, uh, require, is that the family be very on board and involved with with the whole situation. And that's it. This is Becky from Guiding Eyes. Um, our age limit is 16. Um, people, young people can apply, um, and, and we often talk to them about what you should do to, to be prepared to apply for a guide dog. Um, they need to be 16 at the point where they're ready to come into training, and um, we work with both the family and, if they're in school, the high school um, to, to try to make things as smooth as possible. Hey, everybody, it's Chelsea with Seeing Eye. Um, ours is also 16-ish. Um, We've had a couple of folks be 15. Um, but those are very unusual. Um, and yes, like uh, Pam said, family has to be on board with it. But even more importantly than that, um, the school, wherever that student is at, um, if, if they are in a high school situation, um, has to be on board with it. Um, technically a school can't say no, especially if it's a public school. But if we go into a situation and do an interview with a student who's still in high school and the high school is like, mm, we're not going to do it. Um, because having had a dog in high school myself, I will tell you that if you do not have a school that is on board with having the dog there, um, if you force the situation, it will be miserable. So um, we we will not, um, we absolutely will entertain folks, you know, if they have the skills, but the school has to be on board with the situation. So anyone else? No, let me. And all I have to say to that is ditto. <laughs> um, our minimum age is 16 at Guide Dog Foundation, and we follow the same uh, advisements as Chelsea and Becky. This okay. is Andrea Judici, and John Byfield said I should talk, and when John Byfield says you do something, you do it. <laughs> so um, I just to 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 um, my guide currently is from Guide Dogs for the Blind. My first dog was from Fidelco, and I was. 16 when I applied and 17 when I got her. And I did go to high school with her. And it's very true. The school was, um, at the time, they were the only school that would entertain me at that age. But that was 100 years ago. So, um, But it was really important that my family was on board and the school. And I was impressed by my school because I had not been impressed by my school with much of other things. But they really did come through with me with the guide dog. But it, it having said that, um, you have to be ready, to, as everyone knows, to put that guide dog first. And a lot of us at 17 or 16 may not be ready to do that. So that's, I'm glad the schools are willing to look at it, but it's also really important for us to think about being honest with ourselves. And am I really ready to roll out of bed no matter what the day is and the weather is and, uh, 
and do this when I'm 17. When sometimes when I'm this age, I kind of go, really? We have to do this without? <laughs> so. Okay, do we have one final question somebody's burning to ask? Hi, I'm Julia, and my guide dog is from the Guide Dog Foundation. I wanted to ask what the guide dog schools are doing to educate the TSA. Um, at uh, SEGD, um, I will say that uh, we were consulted for the new relief areas at um, Sarasota um, Airport and at Tampa Airport, um, and uh, we have done trainings there um, as far as what to do when a guide dog user comes, um, so that's what we've done. Everybody, it's Chelsea with Seeing Eye. Um, I know that um, Ginger um, routinely goes to Newark Airport and does training with TSA, but as we all know, and as we heard from, from Becky this morning and Janine this morning, the, the turnover with TSA is so frequent that it's really difficult to, to keep up with that. You would almost have to go, I mean, really probably every month, seriously. Um, I, I am in and out of DFW airport and Love Field airport in Dallas all the time. And I don't think I've ever seen the same people twice. So, um, and at DFW, that's not hard to do, but at Love Field, it, it's a small airport. You would think you would see at least one person, you know, a couple of times, but, um, but I, I do know that, that Ginger, you know, they, they do a couple of times a year, I think, um, training with the TSA in, in Newark. So. This is Becky, and yes, I did quip that the TSA is uneducable, but um, <laughs> I, 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 that's I'm not sure. But um, we have um, we have uh, an airport in White Plains near Guiding Eyes that we've done a couple of training sessions with their senior TSA staff, and like Chelsea, even though that's a small airport, I have only once seen somebody that said, "Oh, I remember you from the training." So the turnover is really high, and what we ultimately find is that we as guide dog users need to be aware of what the policies are and be willing to do a little educating as calmly as we can when needed. Hi, this is Pam Berman with Guide Dogs for the Blind. I, I actually echo what Becky said. It's so important for us to, you know, keep on top of you know, what is right and, and what is the, the law that serves us well. But Guide Dogs for the Blind a few years ago uh, did work uh, extensively with uh, TSA in San Francisco Airport. And when you are in class, that is a possibility. Um, now that our classes are shorter, it doesn't always happen. But if that is something important for you, uh, you can have that part of your class is to go through the airport, to go through security, so you get a feel for what it's about. Um, but again, uh, you know, what one person may say uh, at one point, you know, the, the guy that's uh, on the night shift uh, may have a different idea. So it's really important for us to, you know, gather it uh 
conferences like this and, you know, retain the information to uh, better educate ourselves and uh, to then educate them. But Guide Dogs for the Blind also has a, a, a wonderful graduate service uh, support. So uh, you can always call up if you run into any issues at all. And uh, a field manager such as Will uh, would be happy to work with you or whatever uh, area you're at. Uh, it's possible to have a field uh, support service uh, field manager come out and work with you. Anyone else? Yep. Let me take this one. Okay. <laughs> it's Janine from Guide Dog Foundation. And we have been working with TSA for a, a number of years along with the other schools. A few years ago, uh, in conjunction uh, along with Seeing Eye, we authored a best practices manual for TSA. And we're in the process of updating that. Uh, it comes with a PowerPoint, and that's the process we're updating right now. But it includes some videos on how to actually screen people with different types of disabilities with service animals, and including guide dogs and all the different ways you can go through with your guide dog, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So as soon as that is up and available, I'll let everybody know. Uh, we are next month planning some trainings with JFK Airport. Um, we're not doing much with LaGuardia right now because of all the construction. It's so insane around there that, um, yeah, TSA training is on the back burner at this point. But uh, JFK has been wonderful. We also work with MacArthur Islip Airport. We've been consulted, as have many of the other schools, by a number of other airports around the country on relief areas and things like that. So um, it's an ongoing process, but you are your best advocate. And we can't say that enough throughout this convention. Know what the rules are and what the laws are. We also try to go over this with you in class sometimes, as as uh, um, the lady from uh, GDB Pam said, it, it does get, you know, neglected during the class, not intentionally, though. So we try to make sure that you have the procedure down before you leave, and then you can communicate that as you need. Before we end this session by heartily thanking all the guide dog school reps, which we will do in just a moment, I just want to repeat this. We have to advocate for ourselves. I do, as many of many people here do, a lot of work in state and, and of course, in the Congress as well with, with legislative assistance and the actual um, legislators themselves. And what they love is personal stories. They don't want a guide dog school to come as much as they want to see somebody come as a student of that guide dog school and tell them a personal story. It gets to them. It's the same thing with the installation of something like accessible pedestrian signals. And we have that wonderful handbook out there. But that handbook was targeted with you all in mind to help give you what you need to talk to traffic engineers. So we love our guide dog schools. They, they are immeasurably important in our lives and they can certainly be an excellent resource, but nothing beats our feet on the ground accompanied by the four little feet and the big heart that we've said forward to as we go and live our lives and advocate for ourselves. Now let's give the guide dog schools rep a big hand. <laughs> <laughs>